Welcome to Unstyled. I'm your host, Christine Barbrick, co-founder and global editor-in-chief of Refinery29. Each week, I invite a notable person to come in and talk with us as we explore the funny, inspiring, sometimes heartbreaking tales of life, work, and love, as told through the things that we wear. Back in 2010, a 21-year-old New Yorker, Leandra Medine, noticed a shift happening among her and her friends. Unlike their peers and the generations of women before her, they weren't getting dressed every day with the thought that they might capture a man's gaze, or would even want to. In fact, it seemed the opposite was true. Leandra and her friends were getting dressed for themselves, wearing things like acid wash harem pants and shoulder pads. No matter that regular guys didn't get it, or even felt repulsed by it, this is precisely when the term man repeller was born, and with it, a cultural phenomenon launched by Leandra that mixes up joy-inducing fashion, practical advice, neo-feminist ideals, and plenty of arm parties. Since her launch six years ago, millions of readers around the globe have flocked to man repeller's no apologies, zero fucks philosophy on living life authentically. And that's exactly what Leandra does too. Through her honesty, her personal convictions, and fearless sartorial pursuits, Leandra has grown Man Repeller from a blog to a millennial manifesto about the importance of expressing your true self, whether it be in ugly overalls or on the brink of a major breakup. Now Man Repeller is a full-fledged lifestyle media brand with editors, designers, and strategists, bringing Leandra's original vision to life on a global scale. With a forthcoming shoe line in collaboration with Metaporte and design partnerships with Nina Ricci, Danny Joe, and Etra Cecil, Leandra continues to grow and expand. But she's also remained candid, and it's precisely that candor, an honest, funny, irresistible, sometimes abrasive voice, that has become her calling card in an industry just beginning to recognize the value of being real. Hi, Leandra. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for being a guest on Unstyled today. Thanks for asking me to come on. So I wanted to talk a little bit about when we first met. And I remember a meeting that I had with you, and I remember what you were wearing. And you probably don't remember what you were wearing, because why would you? But I, I remember. I really remember that meeting, because I had stopped. We were at a coffee shop. I had stopped at this clothing store called Necessary Clothing on my way to meet you. And I was like, you're not going to believe it, but I'm pretty sure I just found a pair of Philip Lim shorts for $9.99 at Necessary Clothing. Interesting. I don't remember that part of our meeting. I remember it. Necessary clothing. We met at um Clementine, we met at a coff- Yes, we, we did. Yes, we did. At um at Cologne. We met at Cologne Coffee Shop. And you were wearing I remember you were wearing something of your mother's. You were wearing like a fur stole or something. I think it was it might have been your grandmother's, I'm not Where? sure. No, it was amazing. And you were telling me about how you were living at home and you and your now husband had just started dating again. And we were talking about the... Wow, I really got into it with you, huh? No, we were talking... Well, we were getting to know each other because I really wanted you to write for us, even though you were just starting to get busy and things were starting to really um, accelerate around Man Repeller. But I think why I was so drawn to you and why I still admire you so much and and obviously just like love hanging out with, with you when we actually get like stolen moments, but is because of your voice and... I guess predating Man Repeller, you had a blog when you were 20 years old I called sure Boogers and Bagels. And the byline read, just kidding, this has nothing to do with bagels. <laughs> it's still on the internet, but it's been made private. So tell me about that time when you realized you had something to say. 
It's funny that you ask me that because I was talking about this with someone on my team earlier today. And she asked if I felt, we were talking about street style, and she asked if I felt uncomfortable knowing that if someone were wearing the same exact outfit that I'm wearing, the probability of their getting photographed by swaths of photographers was considerably smaller than the probability of my getting photographed. I said, no, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. I almost feel like, you know those kind of people who after something happens in their life they and they feel like they've come into their own, like, I almost feel like becoming recognized and and like internet famous makes me feel much more comfortable with my place in the world because I always felt like I had something really important that was worth being heard. I always felt like that. And I used to act out and like lash out in ridiculous ways because I wanted to be heard, but nobody would listen. I feel really, really at ease and comfortable with my voice. With your first blog, you were living at home Mm -hmm. and you have three brothers Mm -hmm. and you lived at home until you were 23? 22. 22. So what about that time in your life felt like a rich opportunity for you to start talking about what was happening? Yeah, I was starting to feel more and more comfortable with my place in the world. I think that's really it. I had just gotten back from my semester abroad in Paris And when I was in Paris, I was keeping a blog, and that was called Four Months in Paris, and I would just chronicle the time I was spending there. And I developed a readership beyond just my parents from home, and that was really interesting. And I'd been at school for writing, and it was so satisfying to self-edit, a.k.a. not edit at all. You know, like write over misspelled words. Like, I spelled that wrong, not going to fix it. Moving on. (laughs) I feel like you kind of still do that I do, I do, I do. You leave words out. It's all right. Because it's fun. It's silly. And it's not supposed to look perfect, especially not on social media. Or that's how I feel about the Man Repeller Instagram, at least, is like, let's show some real life on here. I think there's a a level of spontaneity that's just really refreshing and really hilarious. Oh, that's so nice of you to say. When I launched Man Repeller, I was a junior in college, and I just started writing it because... I was looking around one of my nonfiction classes one day, and I was thinking to myself that we were all going to be graduating together, and we were probably all going to be fighting for the same two reporting jobs that exist in media. I just wanted to work at a place where I could defy the odds of looking like a fashion girl who worked in fashion. You know, like, fashion shouldn't make you feel like you are less than really smart. Your interest Which is in what fashion. Unstyled is all about. <laughs> yeah, well, your interest in fashion is not supposed to minimize your intellect the same way that your disinterest in fashion doesn't exactly. mean you're not invited to participate. Exactly. But so anyway, I started it because I wanted to hand it in with my resume when I applied for jobs. By the time I graduated, I had started monetizing on Man Repeller in a meaningful enough capacity that I didn't have to seek outside work. But it was always very honest and very real. There was no impetus to make it bigger and there was no impetus to sound a certain way. I was truly just doing me, you know? So all of like the confidence stuff and make women feel good and dress like a crazy person if you feel like that's how you want to look, all of that was coming from inside and I didn't even mean to do it. But do you think that that was always who you were? That was always who I was, but I think I spent a long time while my husband, A.B., and I were broken up trying to fit into the box of, like, the woman that I thought he wanted to be with. And I'd become such a shell of a human who was so far removed from who I was that I was just like, fuck this. I'm going back to being me. And Man Repeller rolled up really beautifully. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh. For those who are not able to see this, which is all of you, Christine just removed her upper lip. 
I pulled from it, her smile. I pulled it back to reveal the. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why I do that. I don't it's know, but fun. I like it when you do it over and over I, and over again yeah. on our Insta stories, and it just <laughs> makes me laugh so hard. And just for everyone that's listening, and Elisa, I really hope you don't cut this out, but. It's a really funny little gesture. She just sort of pulls back the her upper lip to reveal her her gummy Teeth. smile. Mm-hmm. And um but it's it's not a real it's a stoic smile. It's not really an enthusiastic smile. It's just very yes. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> exactly. That's my thing with jokes. I throw them until they stick and I will not let them die until one person laughs. I think another thing that's been interesting, an interesting parallel in our lives is that we've both been really open talking about our our difficulties or our experiences trying to have children. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman in my 40s and you're in your 20s and we both had very different experiences. But I have to say when I listen to Leandra's podcast called Monocycle and listening to you share in such a personal space it was quiet, it was private, and there was such a sense of intimacy, you know, with you talking to me and to all of your listeners about getting the results back from your recent IVF. I would love to hear from you, like, why did you feel like you wanted to share that? First, I was only going to share that if I was sharing it in real time. So my doctor called me. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon. I was sitting in that little park on Kenmar Street by Lafayette. And I was waiting for the call and she called and I was so sure that she was going to tell me I was pregnant because she had told me that there was almost no way I wasn't going to be pregnant. She's like, there is there is nothing medically wrong with you. Like You're responding really well to the medication. We got so many eggs off your ovaries, so many of them fertilized, so many of the embryos fertilized. Like Because I asked if we should put back two and she was like, absolutely not. And you and your husband had been trying for about two years? Yeah, well, I hadn't gotten a natural period in about two years, so I don't even know if it's fair to call it trying because you have to be ovulating to try. (laughs) But anyway, so she called and she was like, hi, you're not pregnant. I like really quickly got off the phone. I said, okay, thank you very much. What are next steps? And she was like, well, you can start taking the Lupron again and we can go in for the next transfer. And I was like, let me sleep on it. I could not imagine going back on those hormones I had been like, well, I mean, I was still taking the antibiotics and the steroid, but I think in the last like two or three days, I was just on the progesterone and it felt so good not to be taking a steroid. I got off the phone, was not crying. I called Avi, my husband, and I was like, hey, we're not pregnant. And then I started hysterically crying and I got really mad and I got mad at him. And I was like, how could you make me do this? And he was like, what? And I was like, I have to go. And I started feeling terrible for all of the people I know who've gone through miscarriages. I'm like, how could you actually have this embryo in your stomach? This like little, I was literally talking to nothing in my uterus, you know? And so to know that something is in there and then to not have it anymore one day, it's very, very difficult. I started getting upset at my uterus and I felt really bad about myself and like, my purpose in the world was being questioned. And I knew that if I had waited even 24 more hours and recorded the episode the next morning, it wouldn't have been the same. And while I was still so foggy and so scared, I had to talk about it. Because what we find is that people are always sharing the plight of their lives after they've come out of it. And I don't understand why nobody shares it while they're in it. Specifically because as humans, when we are in our most vulnerable positions, we are also our most honest. And that w- that's something that's really, really important for me. Not, not even just because I want to share uh, 
honesty and see how people react to it, but because I need to hear it. Sometimes I listen to that episode also, just because I remember that at the end of it, I did feel this like very strange twitch of hope. And sometimes I listen back just to hear it again. The series of emotions that you that you feel when I listen to you in that moment, it's really powerful. I think that when I was going through all of my miscarriages, I didn't, I couldn't find anything anywhere about any woman that I could relate to that talked about what it was like in the middle of the experience. It was always after she'd had a healthy baby or a family had a healthy, you know, had this great family that they talked about this, you know, this hardship that they had had. I wasn't in that place yet, so I couldn't really relate to what that was going to be like because I didn't know if it was going to happen for me. I think there is something similar in the tone of that episode for you because you can tell that you just heard it, yeah. that you just got that, you were still processing that information. Yeah, I was a little hysterical. I heard it in my voice when I listened back. I was like, Whew. You're 27. Mm-hmm. You and your husband want want a big family. Yeah, we want an ass load of kids. You want an ass load of kids. I want to like fill a minivan with kids. Part of what makes this whole process challenging is that you have so many different opinions from doctors and people who have been through it and people who have had success stories and people who haven't. What do you want women who read Man Repeller to learn from you sharing these experiences? That it's okay to talk if you feel like you have something to say. As women, we get so caught up in the shame of not being able to do things or of doing things. And with Man Repeller and with Monocycle, the most important thing for me is to create a very healthy and comfortable environment where women feel feel good and interested and excited to share. I know that Sometimes when I talk to my mom about her life and she had a, a fairly challenging childhood. So she was born in Iran, then fled, went to Italy. Her dad lost everything. They went to Israel. She lived in like a tiny basement apartment in Bat Yam, which is like a decrepit part of Israel, kind of close to Tel Aviv. And then she came here and met my dad and she lost her parents really quickly after she met my dad and then they got married and my dad's parents were like very fancy Turkish European people who like wanted nothing to do with this new daughter-in-law of theirs. And my dad was 23 years old when they got married and she got pregnant immediately and she went through a lot. And my dad is a wonderful, wonderful guy and he, by the way... He's the one who like pushed me to launch Man Repeller and when I was growing up and it, the norm was for women to like not even really go to college and just get married and be housewives. That's like a very Middle Eastern mentality or was a very Middle Eastern mentality. And my dad was like, that's, that's just not my daughter and it's not going to be my daughter. And he did whatever he had to to make sure that whatever dreams I had would be actualized and realized. But – Again, he was a 23-year-old man with, like, a hot 22-year-old wife who got really fat when she was pregnant, which is beautiful in its own right also, but my mom didn't feel beautiful. And we were talking about this experience one time, and she was like, you know, I really needed a place like Man Repeller. Those were really, really difficult years for me. And it occurred to me then that that is exactly what I wanted to create. I am definitely a natural-born sharer. I like to share experience generally. 
good, bad, whatever. I'm not a private person. So when my mom was telling me about that instance, I was like, that's that's actually what I mean. I'm sharing this because I think it's important for you to know, not because I want you to feel sympathy for me. It's really, really difficult. And whenever I learn that someone is about to start the process, I give them my number. And I, I say, you let me know if you need anything. I mean, to the point where some readers have direct messaged me on Instagram on my personal account, and we have developed like really strong rapports. I just gave one of my doctor appointments to one of them literally like yesterday that's amazing yeah it is amazing it's really special it's really important and I know that I needed it when I was going through it so I hope that I can give it to other people I want to come back to voice man repeller is a business it's a company it's a business how do you describe it as a business Man Repeller is a community. It is definitely a media brand as it stands right now. But at the crux of Man Repeller is this community of fiercely intelligent people who are just interested in talking to each other. And no topic is off limits for intellectual dissection. And being interested in fashion doesn't make you an idiot the same way that not being interested in fashion doesn't exclude you from the conversation. Agreed. I don't – it's just – it's a cool place to hang out. It's where I would want to hang out. (laughs) Oh, I do hang out there. Well, in terms of how you're scaling the company, you haven't mm-hmm. taken any funding. Mm-mm. Tell me about like what your role is in the company now and how that's kind of impacting your life. I'm trying to release myself from the day-to-day operational CEO-ish stuff. I think that I'm a strong like business and creative strategy mind, and I believe that to be extremely true. I think it's always been true. I'm really bad with details. I'm in a position where I'm privileged enough to have started this company and can therefore make my role whatever I want it to look like. You know, I'm I'm doing the stuff that I really love and sometimes it's kind of menial because it's just as simple as like styling a sponsored post or putting clothes on myself. And then other times it's much headier, like figuring out the business strategy for what our future pop-up is going to look like or figuring out like how we're going to monetize some version of a print man repeller, things like that. It's really, really fun for me to think big picture. I don't like getting caught up in the now. These kinds of big life moments give you a really necessary clarity in kind of checking yourself. For someone who is going through a big change in their life, what do you think is the best advice in terms of how to use clothing as a tool. I thought you were going to ask for my advice, and I was going to say journal, journal, journal. Write everything that you're feeling down, no matter how silly. But so here's the thing about clothes, to answer the question. As a tool for growth. Mm -hmm. Take the time to think about the woman you want to be. And I'm not going to say dress for the woman you want to be, but I am going to say take the time to think about when you feel like the best version of yourself. Try to metabolize what it is you're wearing when you feel like that person and put those fucking clothes on and don't take them off until you can do it naked, meaning be happy. I love that. Thank you, Leandra, for being Thank a guest you. on Style. I loved having you. I hope you'll come back. I loved being here. I'll come back tomorrow if you want. Okay, good. I hope you're inspired after hearing Leandra Medine's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be super grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on iTunes and rate us while you're there. You can head to refinery29.com to find this episode and more and make sure to sign up for our exclusive unstyled newsletter delivered straight to your inbox every week. 
Our show today was produced and edited by Elisa Kreisinger, with production assistance from Rebecca Easley for Refinery29. Copy and research support provided by Leela Brilson. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff. Hannes Brown produced our episode music, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist. We'll see you back here next Monday for a conversation with Ashley Graham on revolutionizing the female form.